for joining us for this week's episode of The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. Anyone who wants to be president has to come through New Hampshire first, and no one covers New Hampshire politics like WMUR. I'm WMUR political director Adam Sexton, and we hope you can join us every week for this podcast. She threatened to boycott the debate, but went anyway, and then said she hated it. Meantime, she's been investing time and effort on the First in the Nation campaign trail. Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard joins us on Close Up this morning. Thanks for being here, Congresswoman. So uh, you called out the debate system, in your opinion, uh, corrupt. You decided to go anyway. Um, was that a mistake, do you think? Would it have been better to walk away and just say, I'm done with this? Yeah, no, I heard from a lot of supporters as we were going through this conversation and really thinking about this decision. Supporters who had worked really hard to, you know, ask friends and family members to contribute to our campaign, to meet the thresholds the DNC had set, uh, and I didn't want to let them down. So, so that's why I went. Um, yeah, I, I did hate it. It was, uh, um, you know, the best part about it was just being able to talk directly to voters at the very end, but I think what we saw was what I expected to see was was both in the days leading up to the debate, uh, the day after the debate itself, we saw the two um, hosts, the two corporate media hosts of that debate uh, putting out smear pieces and hit pieces, clearly showing their bias, yet they're pretending that they would be somehow arbit uh, uh, you know, uh, be objective arbiters for that debate. Um, you know, what we saw was a lot of political entertainment, reality TV centered around more conflict. Uh, and that's just, I think that's not constructive to voters and it is not constructive to this democratic process that we have. You mentioned what you call hit pieces. You had someone on CNN refer to you as a puppet of Russia, I believe, yeah. and the New York Times had something in that similar vein, essentially discussing the social media phenomenon. Sometimes uh, Russian bots appear to be um, boosting some of the things that you do. Why do you think people are saying these things? Uh, look, I still serve in the Army National Guard now have for over 16 years deployed twice the Middle East and like so many service members and veterans across this country, uh, willing to lay my life down in service to our country. And so what we see with these smear attacks, these allegations saying, hey, look, Tulsi Gabbard is a, a foreign agent, is a traitor to her country. Uh, they're doing it because I am calling out and trying to end the regime change wars that our country has been engaged in, and this this uh, threat of nuclear war with Russia. And so what they're doing is by, by uh, putting all these smear attacks against me, saying I'm a foreign agent and a traitor and all these things, they're not only saying it to me, they're saying it to every veteran in this country who is speaking out against these wars, to every American as well, um, saying, hey, look, if you do this, if you speak out against these wars, then we will smear you in the same way that we are smearing Tulsi Gabbard. And that's really what is so despicable about what is happening here is that this is a threat to our freedom of speech, undermines our democracy. This is, we need, we need a president who will have the courage to stand up, to speak truth to power and to stand up for our freedoms. That's exactly what I'm doing. It's tough to how to respond to any of this, right? Because go too forceful and they're like, well, there must be something there and don't do anything and suddenly things start to stick. So, but everyone who gets elected president faces attacks, uh, fair or unfair, but those who do get elected manage to talk their way through or around them. So how do you convince those voters who might be affected by something like this, uh, who, who got you, they just say, gosh, you know, uh, I don't know what to think about Tulsi Gabbard now. Yeah, I was just speak the 
truth. <laughs> Let them know who I am. Talk about, uh, share with them the service that I, I um, have been motivated by throughout my life, this desire to be of service to our country and to the American people. Uh, the decisions that I've made all the way back in Hawaii, running for the state legislature back when I was 21, serving on the Honolulu City Council, serving in Congress, uh, enlisting in the military, uh, motivated after that attack that occurred on 9-11 to uh, do all that I could to put my life on the line to defend and protect our country, uh, volunteering to deploy twice to the Middle East. Every single thing in my life, I have tried to do my best to be of service to our country, and that's really why I'm running for president, to provide the kind of leadership that will unite our country around the freedoms and principles that we hold dear, that are enshrined in our Constitution, and restoring these principles of putting service to the American people and our country at the forefront of the White House and of our government. If there's one thing that's true, there's nobody that has a meh reaction to Tulsi Gabbard. It's gonna be one way or the other. <laughs> it's just how it goes. But let's shift to foreign policy. What's your read on this ceasefire uh, with Turkey negotiated by the Vice President? It's bizarre, honestly, it's bizarre because because uh, the United States, and certainly not Donald Trump, they don't own Syria. And so they've made this agreement saying, well, all right, we're, the United States is going to go in and, and give this piece of territory that's within the country of Syria to Turkey when it's really not ours to give. Uh, this is up to the Syrians, this is up to the Syrian Kurds of whether or not they are going to fight to protect their territory or they're going to surrender to Turkey. It's not up to us at all. And, and when you really think about this, uh, this would be like if, you know, Syria went in and said, okay, Mexico, we're going to give you California. Or if the United States went and said, okay, China, you know what, we're just going to give you uh, Okinawa. It's, 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 it's crazy. Pretty stark, though, when you have 100 to 150 American service members there on mm -hmm. a, a line, essentially. They pull back, and then suddenly we see chaos erupt. Uh, bloodshed, our adversaries empowered, and ISIS prisoners running free. How does this square? I mean, you want to end these regime change Absolutely. wars, as you call them. But as I said, it's stark when something like that happens, and you see this small number of Americans and the difference they make. Is it not a risk there, uh, if we have that small footprint, to be able to stop something like that from happening? Isn't that worth it in some way? Uh, well, we've got to be clear on a few things. First of all, how and why did this occur? Uh, December of 2018, Donald Trump put out a tweet, put out a statement saying he wants to bring our troops home. I agreed with him at that time. I said, we need to bring our troops home as quickly as possible, but it must be done in a responsible way. Our troops were there to uh, assist and train and equip Syrian Kurds and others on the ground to fight against ISIS. That was the mission that they were authorized to go to Syria for. Uh, and that's what they were doing, working with the Syrian Kurds. Rather than actually ensuring that our troops could withdraw in a responsible way, what Donald Trump did was this hasty uh, pullback of moving our troops from that northern border, uh, allowing Turkey to go in and begin this, this uh, ethnic cleansing and genocide of the Kurds. Uh, every step of the way, Trump and his administration were lying to the Syrian Kurds, saying, hey, we're gonna be here for you, we're gonna protect you, we're gonna support you, provide you with what you need, preventing them from going and, and getting the kinds of security agreements and, and having negotiations and reconciliation with the Syrian government so that they could actually form a common defense of that northern border against a Turkish invasion. Uh, so. I think we've got to be very clear on why we are in this situation and how this 
uh, beginning of a genocide against the Syrian Kurds is yet just another negative consequence of the regime change war that we've been waging in Syria since 2011. If America leaves a vacuum behind, we often see people like Vladimir Putin, Russia, and other areas of the world, China, step in who don't share our values. So if we are going to, under a President Gabbard, reduce our American global military footprint, how do you ensure that those aren't the players who are moving in and then exerting influence in those areas? I think, again, we have to look at the world that exists, not the one that we wish existed. And if you look at Syria, Syria has long, as a country, been allied with Russia. They have not long been allies with the United States. So unless people are advocating for a permanent U.S. military presence in a country that has not welcomed that presence and has actually rejected it, uh, then we've just got to be honest about why are our troops actually there? So we've got to make these decisions, whether it's in places like Syria or in other parts of the world, first asking that question, what is our objective and how will it best serve the interests of our country, our national security, and the American people? I do not advocate for being isolationist. We have to continue to engage and we will continue to engage with other countries in the world under a Gabbard presidency, but we will stop this madness of trying to be the world's police, going in and trying to topple dictators that we don't like in other countries, needlessly costing us more American lives and costing us more American taxpayer dollars that are really needed desperately to serve the needs of our people right here at home. Under that way of thinking, Hong Kong, you think it's okay for them, an area that's traditionally enjoyed freedoms, uh, to slowly lose those to China? That's okay with you? Well, no. Once again, this is a situation where we've got to ask uh, what what's actually happening there. You know, this one China policy is something that's been in place uh, and been supported by every administration since Nixon. And the the differences and, and the navigation of, of Hong Kong and the status that they had under British rule and then when that British rule was transferred to China uh, is something that they, they've got to navigate through themselves and, and work out themselves. We've seen how, you know, the legislation that first sparked these protests in the beginning, that legislation was pulled back. This is going to continue to be a complex and difficult situation that Hong Kong and China need to work out. I want to sneak in. We've been spent so much time on foreign policy. One thing about New Hampshire here, you've been stacking up visits in the state. Yes. Elizabeth Warren is the front runner here. How do you catch up to her here? We're going to continue doing what we've been doing. You know, we're going to all parts of New Hampshire, holding multiple town halls every single day, getting a chance to really listen to what people are talking about, the things that they're concerned about, and being able to answer their questions and share the kind of unifying leadership that I seek to bring. All right. Congresswoman Gabbard, thanks Thank so you. much for your time. Nice we appreciate it. Likewise. Thanks for joining us for WMUR's The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. If you have a moment and can write a review or subscribe to this podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it. You can also find us on WMUR.com and our free WMUR app 24-7. See you for the next episode of this podcast next week.